I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. This is She Said, She Said. She Said went live at the 2018 Fabtech trade show at a breakfast for women in manufacturing. Our special guest was Veronica Breaker, who is Vice President for Operations at BASF Corporation's Performance Materials Division in North America. Veronica is a thoughtful, authentic role model and on the front lines inspiring other women each and every day to pursue careers in engineering and manufacturing. Our thanks again to the women in manufacturing and Fabtech for including She Said, She Said in this year's conference and trade show. Good morning, welcome to our annual Women of Fabtech Breakfast. This is an excellent event and we're excited to be a part of it and to bring together women who are here to see technology and innovation here at the Fabtech show. My name is Allison Graylis. I am president of Women in Manufacturing Association and I also am vice president of the Precision Metal Forming Association. Just for some information, if you don't know Women in Manufacturing, we are the National Trade Association working year-round to support, promote, and inspire women in this industry and in manufacturing. On behalf of all of the organizations that I'm representing and then the other sponsors of the Fabtech Trade Show, FMA, SME, AWS, and CCAI, I'd like to welcome you all to this breakfast. I'm pleased to kick off the program by introducing Laura Cox Kaplan and Veronica Breaker. Laura Cox Kaplan is the founder and host of the popular She Said, She Said podcast. Frustrated by the narrow way in which women's interests and political and civic engagement are often framed, as well as by the lack of women in senior positions in business and politics, Laura created the podcast as a platform to showcase uniquely diverse voices of inspiring women who are making a difference. Laura brings a unique perspective to conversations with a broad range of, in of industry and thought leaders. Uh, this morning, Laura will be interviewing Veronica Breaker. She serves as Vice President of Operations for BASF's Performance Materials Division in North America. Throughout her 25-year career, she's gained experience in process and project engineering, quality, supply chain, and operations leadership. She's a certified Six Sigma Black Belt and Master Black Belt with a deep understanding of operational excellence and a passion for improving the representation of women in manufacturing and technical roles. She also serves on the board of directors for Women in Manufacturing, and I've had a great pleasure of working with her for the past year. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. We're so excited to be here this morning. Normally with the podcast, we are not in front of a live audience, so this is a special treat for me, and I hope it will be for you as well. My new friend, Veronica Breaker, is here with us today, and she is a perfect example of why showcasing these women is so important. Veronica, welcome to She Said, She Said. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you. So great to have you here. Let's start by talking a bit about how you got your start. What was it about manufacturing that really appealed to you? You know, it was interesting. Early on, I grew up in St. Louis, and early on I went to all-girls Catholic preparatory, college preparatory school. 
And at the time, um, you know, you can imagine um, getting news from my mom that I was going to go to all-girls school, first of all. That wasn't going to be my first choice. But, um, you know, it was really important to her uh, to, to focus on education. Um, my mom actually was one of the first female um, line operators um, in, for AT&T. So she was one of the first women to climb the, the telephone poles, right? And so that was one of the things that was important to her that she wanted um, her daughters, I have a sister, both of us engineers, to, to really be part of that technical field and, and, and appreciate that. So I went to Rosati Kane High School in St. Louis. And I took the technical track, because um, you could go accounting or you can go technical. And one of the missions of the school was really to introduce us to careers. They focused particularly on careers that were less frequented by women. Um, so we would have people from these uh, different uh, areas come in and talk to us and, and let us know what was going on. We'd have shadow days. We'd do externships. So I thought they did an excellent job of introducing us to uh, roles that they thought that we could be effective in, um, that they would tell us right away wasn't a high uh, percentage of women, but that was one of their missions to get women into those roles. And so that was my first interest, right? I had great teachers, I had great exposure. And then as I went on to college, um, once again, I got exposed at a much higher level through um, internships and things like that. And I just decided I really enjoy making something. Right? I really enjoy being challenged. I have a natural mind around problem solving. And I think women in general are multitaskers, and so that allows me to do that as well. And so that was really kind of what piqued my interest. So I think the early exposure to it yeah. um, and, and just my interest in general. I like to tinker, and I love math, and, and yeah. all those things that seem to fit. I love that the example of, that your mom set was really what initially piqued your interest. Huge. And that's so important. Talk yes. to our kids about what it is we're doing and what's meaningful to us and what we're passionate about. Exactly. And, and so I have five kids of my own. And I know that's you always a surprise. guys hear that? Five. She's five. <laughs> Working mother of five. Working mother of five. So I think that's, that's, you know, that's important to say, though, as well. Because, you know, a lot of times as I mentor and I go through and I see women, um, especially some of our younger talent, the concern is always, can I do it and can I be a mom and, and can I have a good career and be effective at both jobs? And I'm here to say you can. Um, there's always a path that's different. But, you know, I have five kids and three daughters and two, two sons. My oldest is 27. Um, my youngest is 16. Um, both girls on each end. And so as much as I can, I would expose them through bring your child to work day. I, I try to get them into science uh, type of curriculums within their school. That was always important. You know, I don't know how, my husband's a chemical engineer as well, so, so we're both chemies, and, and so that had something to do with it, maybe negative on one side. Because uh, my two oldest kids who are out of school, I don't have an engineer yet there. I have a, a college coach and, and a technical sales guy, but um, I, I'm happy to say I have a sophomore mechanical engineer you know, I have a freshman um, who's probably going to be uh, pre-med, biomedical, and then I have my 16-year-old who's a budding chemical engineer. So I will get an engineer out of, out of uh, one of those. <laughs> so, so what you're talking about really begs the question, and we, you know, I think there's a lot of discussion about work-life balance and how you balance it all, but for a woman who's at the level that Veronica is in her career to balance it with five kids in a dual career household, because your husband also is in Absolutely. a very big job as well, that is pretty unusual. So I think, give us some perspective on 
both how you've managed your career and, and how, what advice you would have for the audience as they think about this, especially for younger members of the audience who may be just embarking and thinking about getting married and having children and pursuing that path as well. Okay, I, I would say, you know, and uh, it's so funny because people always say, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how I did it, you know, but, but you did it. Um, I wasn't one of those people. No, I didn't have nannies. Um, it, was, it was important for me for our kids to have exposure to my husband and I. Um, where we could, we utilized uh, family as well. But it came down to, I will say this, um, you know, early out of school, you know, I had these aspirations. Uh, at the time, I wasn't married. You know, then I met my husband. I said, hey, I still have these aspirations, too. Um, and he, he was supportive of that. So that, that was one important thing. Choose your partners well um, because, um, you know, they have to understand right away what they're getting into. There were times, you know, where there was maybe not now. It was pace that I think was more important for me. Um, there were times where I had to make moves or make jobs that were personal um, in nature. You know, my husband and I would have the leading lagging discussion, um, and there were times that there were there were reasons that he was the leading um, career, and so we had to take the back seat. And there were times that was lagging, and so I think it took me a couple years to mature and say, you know, it's not that I can't have it all. I maybe can't have it all right now. So it was more around pace. And so and transparency, I, right? Transparency. You're, you're having transparent conversations with your spouse, which can be dif sometimes difficult to have. Absolutely. And it's also how you look at your career. It wasn't this hockey stick trajectory, right, that I think as, you know, 25 you start off wanting. Um, it looked more like a spider web. I started focusing on what are the jobs and experiences that I can give myself, even if it's a lateral move? What are the things that I can do to add tools to my tool belt? How do I make myself a very diverse, rounded person and get this credibility um, to be able to lead a lot of different things? At some point, you know, you're in your career and you're the jack of all trades, master of none. And then you start to hone in and start to become good at something and where your passion leads. Always keeping in balance in, in terms of, you know, um, where my family fit. Get rid of the guilt, too. One of the things I remember having this experience, and it was with my oldest daughter, who was 27. I think at the time she was uh, nine. And there was something going on at her school, and it was middle of the day, kind of silly thing, right? And, and I just really could not make it work. She went uh, to school when she came home, and she goes, I had a talk with my teacher. I told her, look, my mom works for a living. And this, you know, and, and so the pride in her voice and, and her taking up that, that subject with the school to, to show some sensitivity and, and be proud of the fact, yeah, my mom works, showed my kids that they didn't miss a whole lot. And I felt like with all the moves, and we made quite a few moves, I look at my kids and, and they're so well-rounded, they're so resilient, they're so grateful for the experiences that they had. And the way we balanced that was that, you know, when, when there was a day off, we always took family vacations, that we felt like their home was where my husband and I were. And so we became their base. And so it's important to deal with what's important, but also don't kill yourself for the things you can't control. Get rid of the guilt. Um, know that you're doing your best and, and know that your kids can see that. I think sometimes we underestimate that. And then also another aha moment for me in my career was early on, once again, 20, 25, 26, 27, you know, I was trying to keep up with uh, my male counterparts, right? 
So if they could stay to eight o'clock, I was gonna stay to eight o'clock. If they were gonna take a last minute trip, then I was gonna take a last minute trip. And I was absolutely killing myself. It just wasn't working. It was angst at home. It was angst with me because you, you, you want everything to be perfect. And finally, I was uh, talking with the, a coach actually, and it was around being honest with yourself. And so I thought, what's the worst thing could happen? And so I told my boss, you know, I said, hey, look, I can take this trip, but I'm gonna need about three, four days notice because I need to make arrangements for my children. And then I just decided be honest with myself and go in and I would have a much better experience on both sides. And it, and it didn't kill me. Um, I've been an executive in two companies now, large multinational companies, and I enjoy what I do. And that's where my joy came from, not the stress. So I think that's important. So Veronica, we're seeing a lot of change in the industry. There's a couple different areas that I, that I want to talk to you about. One is around personal growth and development. But before we get to that, talk a bit about you are, have been, and probably still are, I'm guessing, um, the only woman in the room at times. <laughs> Maybe less so now, which is great because there's tremendous progress that's being made. But you're oftentimes the only woman, and my guess is probably the only woman of color. Correct. Right? Yes. Talk about what that's like and what advice do you have for others who may find themselves in similar positions? Yeah, so it, so it goes back not so far from what we just talked about. It, it comes down to personal confidence. Knowing that I belong there was the first part about it. So not making excuses for it and not feeling uncomfortable, right? Because I don't think people can make you feel a certain way. And so I go in, um, I think I'm pretty good at what I do. Uh, results and performance always matter to me. Mm but also I have to understand that just as uncomfortable sometimes it is, as it is for me, it is also for them. Mm -hmm. and, and, and really in, in a larger regard, I, you know, I was with a company and I remember having to go on a trip and it was all, all, all white males. And in the past, this, I was the first African-American or even female leader that they had had at this level in an organization. And in the past, they had these uh, twice a year meetings and they would go to strip clubs and do things like that, you know. And so I was, uh, the first year I was there, you know, there was just natural uncomfortableness around, oh, we used to do this, now we, we, we can't do it. And really what we tried to focus on is that what fun can we have that is something that I said, if your kids or spouse read about it in the newspaper, you won't be ashamed of it. <laughs> and so hopefully, <laughs> You know, I, I was teaching them to be better, credible professionals. I had to be comfortable with them. They needed to be comfortable with me. But the, it comes from the confidence, right? And, and it's not a cocky confidence. It's just go in with the mind of not trying to figure out what's wrong with it, what's right with it. And then at some point, I always convince myself, this will be a non-issue because there'll be many of us sitting around the table and, and this won't be an issue anymore. And I'm working towards that, right? So if you kind of begin with the end of mind, right? I'm there now, I'm the first. The first is always painful, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but I'm doing it for, for a much bigger cause. And, and I have daughters, like I said, I, I look at a lot of people, I mentor. I'm very passionate about young ladies who have this interest and in, in trying to cultivate that as much as I can. And so with that might come some firsts that are a little tough just signing up for it. Yeah, this topic of confidence is a big one, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast. We've had Claire Shipman, who wrote, co-wrote an amazing book called The Confidence Code, which if you haven't read it, it's fantastic, especially for young women and girls. As you think about those knocks to your confidence as you're going through junior high school, that's really where that hit happens. So as you think about this notion of confidence, the parallel to that is self-doubt. 
right? How do we deal with self-doubt when we encounter something, maybe it's a setback, maybe it's an outright failure. How do you bounce back from that in order to keep your confidence high and to, and to sustain that momentum for yourself? And I know one of the things we haven't gotten into, but mentoring is, is tremendous. And throughout my career, I've had a number of mentors, both formal and informal, and not all females. Um, I, you know, I go to the majority also for, for mentoring because it's, it's important to get their perspective. Art Harper, um, I remember, was one of my first male high-level um, mentors. And one of the things he told me is, uh, it was a couple of pieces of advice I laugh at, but it's like, never let them see you sweat. <laughs> The number behind that, what he said to me, he says, Veronica, you kill yourself because you think you have to be the smartest thing in a room. But guess what? They don't know the answer either. So have some confidence in knowing that no one is all-knowing. Other people have made these mistakes as well. But you can't let it show all the time. Right? You can't never let them see you sweat. You might make the mistake, own it. And, and walk in there with your head high because you know that they've made those mistakes too. You may not be aware of them. So it was more around this whole idea of perfection and, and guilt. No one's perfect, right? Everybody's made those mistakes. It's what did you learn from them? It's reaching out to people who can in some ways help you uh, survive them, right? So I, I think as women, we're not as good as always building a, our wall of allegiance. We, we tend to fall back on what we know and, and we're, just, we're, we're smart and we know it and they're going to recognize us and know it's because we're the smartest. Where um, it, relationships matter in the workplace and having the wall of allegiance and having people who can vouch for you and people who can help you recover through those things. So between a mentoring piece, between really building the relationships that I call it my wall of allegiance, and that's what I always tell my uh, mentees too, who's your wall of allegiance? Do you know who your supporters are? Know who they are? Um, and then those things help you survive just about anything. So you've mentioned a number of different topics, the mentorship topic, which ultimately leads to getting great feedback so that you can continue to improve, but you also mentioned perfection, and perfection can be for women, not every woman, but most women hold themselves to a really high standard. And that can often make it tough when somebody says to you, gosh, you could also do this, this, and this. And you go, wait, wait, I, I thought I was like doing really great already. And it's that notion of perfection. How do you advise your teams or how do you do this for yourself, keeping your perfection in check so that you can hear good feedback and keep growing? And how do you help your teams particularly young women on your team, be open to that notion of feedback as a way of improving. So I'm a high collaborator, especially I think as you go up to, to high levels in the organization, you just can't do it all. Um, you, you will not have your hands around everything. So people and collaborating becomes very critical. And on my team, I have something that's called a challenge process and I open it up because to me, if you have a bunch of bobbleheads sitting in a room, you're really probably not getting to the best answer. And so I challenge my team to challenge me all the time. And in fact, when they don't, I call them on the carpet. You have to open yourself up to that and create an environment in your workspace where that's okay. I think you're foolish if you, if you think that you're perfect and, and things don't have a different, there's not a, a better way of potentially doing something. 
So I'm trying to create a, a culture of inclusion. You know, it's not just about diversity, but it's about inclusion. And inclusion really sits on everybody having a voice and people feeling comfortable. And quite honest, I mean, just like I said, I'm an African-American female sitting in a room, the one and only. If I don't know what that feels like, then I'm not sure who does. And so I, I draw on those experiences to make sure that I'm not becoming that. You know, feedback is a gift, and how you choose to use it is how you choose to use it. It's not always dead on. It's not, it, it maybe comes from different perspectives, but just take a look at it. Uh, I'm always constantly growing, a continuous learner. Um, I just did a 360, right, uh, with uh, global colleagues, with peers, even people, not just the people I had the best relationship with because in some cases I want to fix the relationship and hearing the perspective and forcing people to write things down and think about it sometimes maybe gives it a little bit of truth. It's just being open to the feedback. I, I'm a believer 360s. Um, I grew up on them. I, I encourage them. The challenge process within your meetings, um, you know, and there's a lot of literature around knowing if you have effective meetings and if you have an effective team, how many people are talking, how many, for every good idea, how many ideas are being shot down. So I'm a constant learner and, and effectiveness um, around your team is important because that's the most important job I have right now is developing people. Um, that's what I do. 360s can be so incredibly, and are so incredibly valuable, but they can be so difficult because inevitably people will give you feedback in areas for improvement. So while 90% of what people say about you is positive, we can have a tendency as women to focus on the 10% that's not so positive. So what do you do with that 10% to keep yourself from spiraling and to instead focus on the bigger picture, focus on ways to improve, but not dwell on things that sometimes, these are things that we have a tendency as women to do to ourselves, um, is to focus on that 10% that's not just right. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I also am associated with the National Association of Manufacturers. They had a seminar um, that I found interesting because I still do get I'm a continuous improvement person, so I'm always around the, what can I do better? But they had a, a, an interesting twist on the strength finder. You are actually more successful through uh, studies when you focus on the things that you do well, not so much on the things that you're not good at, because we're never always gonna be 100% good at anything. So instead of dwelling on what you don't do well, really try to go out and maximize the things that you're really good at because that tells you that you have a knack for that and you focus on those things. So my, my mindset has been the strength finder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what am I good at? And how do I continue to excel at those things, right? And so it's, it, it's a different take on, on things, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of that as well sometimes, right? But you know, 90% of people say you were great at this, but that one person, you know, and I try to find context. Oh, it's because I didn't agree with him at one time and, and things like that. We could always rationalize. But I just say, you know what? I wish I was better at that. But you know what I, I'm good at? <laughs> I'm good at these things. <laughs> so that's what I focus on. You have learned to articulate your value also very succinctly as you've worked your way up your career. And this can also be a real challenge sometimes. Oftentimes, as women, we work incredibly hard. Our brains operate 30% at a capacity that's about 30% faster than the average man. That doesn't mean we're smarter necessarily. You can be your own judge of that. I'll leave it to you. But it does mean that you have more capacity to do things like ruminate or spiral or if something doesn't go 
just right, you can sort of get, in, get tangled up in that. Um, one of the things we also do oftentimes is put our heads down, work really hard, and hope that we will be noticed for the good work that we're doing. And sometimes that happens, but guess what? It doesn't happen all the time. So how do, how do you advise your team? How have you learned to articulate the value that you provide to the organization and more broadly? And how do you help your, the women, young women on your team do that as well, articulating your value? Um, if, if you haven't had a chance, uh, there's a, a really great book um, that I actually just finished reading here a few months ago. And it's called How Women Rise. And in that book, it really talks about um, you know, it's like a top 10 list on the things that we do as women that we think are the things that are the right things to do, but the perspective from the other side. And this was exactly one of them. I think it was like number 12 or something um, about the work hard and keep my head down and, and they will notice. Um, once again, it's having, it's one is role modeling. Two is requiring my team to, I say you do one of two things. You be a mentor and you get a mentor. You have to have both. I believe in coaching as well um, because I think we have blind spots. And I think sometimes we do need someone that is, is kind of away from, who can step away from the situation and provide that feedback with real life examples on what we could do better. Role modeling is a big deal because you can say a lot of things, but people will always watch you, just like your children, right? You can tell them a lot of things, but they watch how you react in the situations that you deal with. So I support a lot of development programs through uh, discussions with executive coaches, my own careers, we talk about these, where, where we could be better, mm -hmm. right? We develop programs around, um, and when they look at the programs that we develop around how to build your network, how to communicate with influence, um, how to build your wall of allegiance, uh, how to recognize the unconscious biases in the room. These are all soft skills. These aren't things that you're learning um, as part of your degree or engineering or school. This is around somewhat workplace politics, but it's so important in how you also become successful, right? Because you don't just become successful because you're a great engineer. Great engineers teach, is what my teacher used to always tell me. Um, so it's, if, when people wanna have a full career and they look at, they look forward to what it is that they would like to do and, and emulate how those people got to where they are, a lot of people get there not because they're smart, because they're great communicators, because they're great at influencing people, because uh, people naturally like them because they're reliable. Um, in their communication and what they say they're gonna do. So those things matter. And so understanding it's much broader than just the skill set you bring, but it's the other stuff too that you have to complement it with. There is um, increased emphasis on this notion of reverse mentorship where you not only mentor someone who's younger and maybe just getting their start, but then they in turn mentor you. Is that something that you guys are, are putting to use, and do you find that an effective strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of the uh, things that I found most effective in the organization, like I said, once again, as, as, as my scope has grown, 
is that in a, I have key leaders in my organization that in addition to you know your normal staff meetings and operation reviews, but I have one-on-one -on -one discussions with them and it's just that, right? We are, it's the two of us and we're sitting there and we're having a conversation and we're coaching each other. We're giving feedback openly. We're talking about concerns that we have. We're saying, hey, I, I don't agree with you because of this. And, and so that is a way of dialoguing, but also coaching and mentoring each other. Um, and I think you have to be open to that. And, and when I look at the effectiveness of my organization as a result of those activities, it, it's phenomenal. I totally trust the people. We know we, we have a perspective. And, and I always do feel confident that they're going to make the right decision, that I don't have to be in a room. I don't have to be present because we have such a deeper understanding of each other and expectations and value systems and things like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's important. How about building your network? That's kind of a different topic from mentorship, even though it can be directly related. But what advice do you have for both the value and sort of how do you go about that? Right. So I think being at an event like this, these are important. Um, and I tell my staff that, you know, join these associations, attend these conferences, because I have to tell you, I've gotten so many great relationships out of these things, and you just never know when they'll say, wow, we, we really need, I go, you know what, I think I met a, a lady um, who, she does this for this company, and let's reach out to her. And every single time, I can say 100% of the time, and maybe I'm just lucky, when I've reached out to these folks, I've always gotten a response back. And so being able to cultivate relationships, not only for yourself, but for other people to be able to connect the dots, right? Um, that, that's a place of power too, right? Because there, there's another thing about where do you get your power, right? Part of it is knowledge, but part of it is being able to connect the dots and connect people. So you get it from conferences like this. You obviously get it from building a network in your uh, workspace, uh, your community. Um, is also a big deal. Get involved with something that is good branding for you, for your company, trying to help facilitate, uh, you know, whatever cause that you're passionate about. I'm passionate about STEM and women and technology, and so anything that I can do around that is part of my network. I, I know all sort of uh, officials from the chief fire guy to the chief of police, and those are important relationships too, a lot more than we would think. So networking is not just around all work, it's about the community around you and, and who do you surround yourself with and then how do you make those connections. Well, we've talked a bit about uh, the importance of making manufacturing attractive to broader population. The talent challenges face not just manufacturing but really any, any and every industry. And women in particular are sort of the secret sauce there. But once you've recruited women into these roles, one of the other challenges can be retaining them. So let's talk about some effective strategies that you all are employing and that you see working well for retaining folks and, and what happens in the career trajectory as, as you see it. Probably about four years ago, um, we took a look at um, our numbers. We wanted to very much increase um, our female representation in a number of roles. Um, around leadership and you know so I'm, I'm a black belt by training you guys get that so I go to the data right I took a look at our demographics and I said hey look um, I want to you know what's my KPI right what, what is it I have to measure to know if I'm good or not what do I benchmark and so we really took our population and we split it into a couple of key areas one was uh, young early what we call early career and then there was this middle career and it was weird data that said you know we had this retention issue 
in the five to seven year range. But if you can get them past 10, then they would stay forever effectively, right? And so I, I start thinking, so what is it around this early in career that we're falling down from a retention rate that ultimately it's, you got a hole in your, in your downstream pipeline, right? So you're never gonna get there. And so in looking at that information, doing focus groups with that population, um, talking to people who had expertise external to just what we thought, talking to women who actually made it past that 10 year mark, like what, what was the magical part about that? Looking at how we were prepping, because we had a lot of development early you know, programs through college and things like that, but somehow we were still falling down. And we started to look at where did we stack up against some of these uh, key targets. One was around development, around mentorship, see it, be it, right? So for a lot of people, they didn't see a future with the company when they didn't see a lot of women in leadership levels. They're saying, well, somehow it's not really working. The funnel's kind of screwed up. And part of it was we weren't offering, um, first of all, we weren't offering exposure because there actually are a lot of female leaders um, in our company. So we do have an organization now, Women in Leadership. So it's leaders not only in manufacturing, but controlling, HR, uh, you know, you name it, legal. And we get together as a women um, in leadership group and we talk about what are we doing to support our constituency? Right. So how are we showing up? Um, are we showing up to mentor? Are we showing up as part of networking? Are we providing career guidance? Are we supporting programs internal and external to the company that are out there, whether part of women in manufacturing, we're part of that organization? Are we doing the things that um, we're, we're, we're talking, we're not just talking the talk, but we're walking the walk? And so offering those things to, to folks and then being very intentional. And that's the other thing. I think we became better when we became intentional. You know, most companies are keeping their DNI metrics, right? They know what they are. But it's such a select group of people who have them and no one really sees it, anything real happening in the organization as a result of that. But to go out intentionally and say, we need to improve our representation in our organization by 30% because we're lacking and we currently sit at 14. That's a real number that people can get their head around. We start taking intentional actions to that. And so that sends a message also through the women in your organization that they're gonna be supported. We, we started multiple programs around development where it wasn't just a one day workshop seminar, you go in and yeah, you get it, everybody's happy, you high five, you go home and nothing happens. But it's actually a three year development cycle with handshakes, leadership uh, responsibility, advocacy, exposure to senior leaders and solving real business problems that we have. So we're walking them along this path. We're not just putting them in a class and saying go. So we're intentional about development. We know where our numbers are. We share them. We don't make excuses for what we're doing. And then we make sure that we have the programs that support that. One topic we've not talked about is the role of men. And I want you to, to, to talk to us about what BASF is doing and what we can do as women to help men help us and help men help other women as well as we're rising up the ladder. Okay, so we have been um, uh, grappling with this program called He For She. Um, so I actually am part of a steering committee for women in manufacturing internal, and um, I was very vocal about having the leader that be a male. I think that it was important for people in the corporation to see that a male was part of this, so I call it he for she. 
and I think it provides some credibility, but it was also a way of educating um, some of our males because they would sit in a room with some of these females during our uh, very uh, candid discussions and they would hear about some of the experiences. And you know, and these, these guys have daughters, they're not bad people. And, and they would be absolutely appalled at some of the stories. And they would say, this still happens, Veronica, it's 2017. Absolutely. So it was, it was making it real for them, not just that we were complaining or we didn't know or, you know, oh, they don't understand or not trying. But they were actually hearing real life stories, bringing them into support, bringing them into act as active mentors as part of this, but to support the steering of the programs. We, we went to our facilities and we looked at our infrastructure Right, and and it was it was almost like uh, hidden figures, right, in some of our uh, facilities where, you know, women were going miles to get to a restroom, or you know, you go to a maintenance shop. I mean, these things were real, and and there was just really no visibility to it. It was just real unconscious bias. It just wasn't something that they had experienced or seen or understood, and they just didn't understand the gravity of the situation. And so getting them involved at those levels, so we have a huge support, not only in the steering committee, the person who also leads it for our organization along with our chief diversity officer, but it's bringing them into what's really happening. And so we call it he for she, and we expect them to be mentors. We expect them to, to advocate for women. So take an ownership for how, how are you advocating? How are you making sure that they have the right level of exposure? It, there's a real ownership in that because there, there's a pride for them to also be part of the success of watching women succeed and knowing that they're making a difference too. But, but it's, it's somewhat, it's just awareness. Yeah, right? don't you think too, I mean there's been a lot of discussion of Me Too and what that means and, and many organizations are struggling with that. You and I had a pretty long conversation about this. But don't you think that notion of awareness, making people more aware and more sensitive to how things can be perceived can help an organization get in front of issues like that? Oh, absolutely. You know, and one of the things that we haven't, um, you know, landed on, but we've we talked about it early on, and then now we see a need, right, you said with Me Too, we talked about sensitivity training mm -hmm. and things like that, and people are like, oh, that's ridiculous. But we actually piloted at a facility and we got really, really good feedback from the operators because we did it at the floor level, right? Because to me, that's still where we have an area where we, we seriously need to improve as well, not just at the leadership ranks, but also in the PMU ranks. And it was actually well received, meaning we talked about situations, it was, it was a lot, of, it was interactive, so it wasn't just people talking to you, there was videos, there was interviews from their own team members, and, and it was it was awareness. It was a huge awareness, but it was also being brave. Um, I, you know, I had a young lady come and talk to me, and um, you know, she was in tears about a comment that was made that was insensitive, to be honest, and it was almost made to embarrass her, and it did. They were gonna be having a, a women in business meeting, and you know, and they're, they're opening it up to anyone because they have these seminars, and she was with a couple of her male colleagues walking out, and and a comment was made. Um, he says, oh, you're gonna attend the seminar now. He goes, no, I don't have time to go home and put my heels and my pearls on or something to that extent. And, and you know, and she was right there, um, and she said, you know, the thing that was most hurtful was that she works with these people every single day. They have lunch together, and she was just shocked by the comment. And I said, so what did you do? And she said, well, I didn't do anything. And I said, but that was an opportunity for you <laughs> to let them know what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable. It didn't have to be aggressive. 
you could just say, wow, I'm really disappointed at that comment that you would say that. Or, you know, stop making it acceptable because you, you've almost given him carte blanche that he's going to continue to make those kind of comments and, and those sorts of things. And, yeah, I can go and I can deal with it, right, at, at a very strong level. But I also expect that you also draw a line in the sand about what's how you are going to be treated and what's acceptable and what's not. And you can do it in a very non-aggressive way, but until we start getting the confidence to do those sorts of things, we, we won't change it. So we can do it by policy, we can do those things, but at, a, at a, a real sense, you have to also establish what's acceptable, what are your boundaries, and take those opportunities. I said, those are small teaching moments. I would have just said, wow, that's really disappointing you would say that. Why would you say, you know, put him on the spot. Make him explain that comment. Don't let him off so easy. Because guarantee you, other people like cringed at it and, and no one was comfortable in the situation, but no one said anything. I'm just encouraging them to say something. Mm -hmm. right? It certainly increases that awareness, right? It when does. it's brought to your attention, if you have a bit of a blind spot about that. It does, yeah. it does, in a very nicest way. So we ask every guest on the podcast to leave us with a single piece of advice or a life hack. It can be a mantra, it can be something that you wish you had known when you were just starting out. You've given us a ton of amazing advice, but if you had to distill it down to one thing that kind of fits in one of those categories, what would yours be? You know, I don't know, this is probably kind of silly, but you know, I say I, I am the face of manufacturing, both present and future. And I want everyone in this room to, to believe that and to, to live it and to go out and, and your whole value system about the way you operate. Yeah, I want to be great at my job, but I want to also be known for being a great development of people. I want people to want to work for me. I want people to have a good memory. And not only that I, I made the numbers, but that I, I made them feel something or I influenced them in some way. In a very basic way, I guess that's all I can say. I, I am the face of manufacturing. This is present and future. Yeah, and, and do what's meaningful to you, right? It's, exactly. That has great meaning to you. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in uh, thanking our terrific guest, Veronica. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Veronica and also She Said, She Said from our website, and that's www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We cover all the basics. And we're just so delighted to have been with you today, Veronica. You are amazing. You are such a tribute to what's happening in manufacturing, and that is very exciting for me and I think for all the folks in this room. So thank you so much for sharing your perspective. No, thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you.